0: Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. The text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. The text will be on the screen as I read. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is God's word. Please be seated.
1: Last week, we started a new sermon series called Blessed, delighting in the good life. And we are looking at uh, 10 different uh, themes uh, in Scripture that we're pulling together as things that um, the Scriptures present as the good life, how God blesses us and, and makes us happy in Christ, and really trying to do that in a way that draws a contrast with what the world is telling you is the good life. What they're presenting to you is a good life. That often leads to you being uh, disillusioned or exhausted and all these other types of feelings that it doesn't uh, really feel like the good life sometimes. And we want to go through a sermon series where we're looking at different themes. Last week we looked at uh, the blessing, blessed are those who long for home. And in the weeks ahead we're going to cover a bunch of different topics like friendship, sex, romance, parenting, technology, work and rest, generosity and justice. There's a bunch of different themes that are going to be popping up in this sermon series. Uh, today, the topic will be blessed are those who belong, discovering freedom in commitment and identity in truth. So before we get started, let's go ahead and pray and dive into that theme. Let's pray. Lord, we are gathered here today because of the lordship of Jesus Christ who who reigns above all. He raised from the dead and defeated sin and death and has poured out his spirit on a people and a church to gather them from every tongue, tribe, and nation in a beautiful, diverse, global faith that all worships you and exclusively you. So Lord, help us to hear your word now. Help us to hear you speak words of comfort and truth and guidance and helping us to remember, Lord, that we have a home in you and in you we belong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the greatest human longings is the longing to belong, the experience of being connected and part of not only community but something bigger than yourself. To belong means to find who you are with others in a way that brings unity and peace and a sense of purpose. But in today's world, it's less common for people to experience belonging and more common to feel isolated from others, conflicted with your inner self, and insecure with your own identity. These realities of our present experience was something that was on my radar when I got the opportunity a couple of years ago to speak at a large uh, youth group conference called Challenge. is one that our denomination puts on every other summer. And I got to do uh, a couple different breakout sessions uh, during that time. And one of the breakout sessions was called More Than Defriended, and I wanted to lean in with that generation and those students with an experience that they have, this anxious experience that they often have of being in a community, but everybody's kind of chasing their own identity, and it always feels like you're walking on eggshells and you could be booted out or canceled at any moment. That's how they feel. One of the activities I had uh, the students do, there was a couple different sessions that I led on the same topic, I had this like interactive thing they did where I just said, what is cancel culture? And use one word to describe what comes to mind when you even hear that phrase, cancel culture. What's, the, what's a word that comes to mind when you hear that? And, and it took all that data, I had used this program at the time, took all that data and made a word picture where the more common words that were used were bigger and then the smaller ones were less common words. So 167 students. Uh, submitted this word picture for their first session. You can see some of the ways that they feel this culture in their community is one that's unforgiving, toxic, selfish. They feel shame and hurtful. Uh, And then there's all these other words along uh, the margins as well. And then the second session, this is what they came up with. Unforgiving, unloving, brutal, rejection, ostracize. So their experience of this is not positive and many high schoolers in our generation. This is what they experience in their school cultures. It sounds suffocating. Uh, some of you are probably reading some of the outside comments, which uh, gets, gets really uh, entertaining. If you, if you look at some of the, I think Amber, Amber Heard is up there, by the way, if you remember cancel culture, so she, at least one person, uh, submitted her as what came to mind with that. Anyway, we were we we're move on from that. You could, you could do a whole sermon on every word on there. Um, I should define my term because this is something I did in the class. So what is cancel culture? And I went on to define it based on the writings of uh, a professor from New York University. His name is Jonathan Hyatt. And he defines it this way, he says, like, this is a summary of his thoughts, that cancel culture is expelling someone from your social circles, uh, your friendship group, you're uh, expelling them from social media, work, whatever. It's an act that's more about personal destruction rather than holding somebody accountable. Cancel culture is not about holding somebody accountable. Holding somebody accountable, that's a good thing. But personal destruction is not. Cancel culture is about vindictiveness or vengefulness rather than the act of doing justice and pursuing mercy. And this is something that can be found in, uh, that is, cancel culture can be found in a bunch of different settings. It doesn't belong to one political group or in just rural settings or just urban settings or just secular settings or religious settings. All different kinds of settings and groups have elements and could have elements of this culture with them. And it raises some questions, where did this culture come from and why does the next generation feel this so uh, dominantly in their life? Where does this come from, especially when you consider that we live in a society that so values freedom and identity because this doesn't feel very free, does it? This sermon is going to go on now to reflect on these things and consider the differences in our culture of understanding freedom and how those different understandings lead one pathway to something like cancer culture being an expression of it, and another one where it leads you to a path of true freedom. One of the books that's guiding us through this sermon series is by James K.A. Smith. Uh, He wrote a book uh, called On the Road with St. Augustine, and he draws a distinction between freedom as defined as freedom from something rather than freedom for. And that's something that I'm going to unpack a little bit in this sermon. Or to say it another way, this comes from a different book by author Alan Noble. He wrote a book, uh, We Are Not Our Own, where he contrasts the ways of this world as believing that we are our own. This is our life and our identity, where the scriptures say that we are not our own. We belong to something or someone bigger. So I want to consider these contrasts now. What does freedom from look like? What does does believing and living in a world where you believe that you are your own, what does that look like, and why is it so destructive? Uh, One of the many factors that likely contribute to this experience is our prodigal approach to freedom and identity. That's one of the biggest reasons. We have a prodigal approach to freedom and identity. I'm, of course, using that phrase from the great parable told by Jesus of the prodigal son, a very familiar story. Even if you have never heard of it, it's one that resonates with so many people. Even if you're not a Christian, it's just a good parable. And it's set up like this. Father has two sons. And the younger son goes to his father and asks for his estate, his inheritance. And this inheritance is something that should be granted after the father passes away, but he asks for it while his father is still alive, which culturally then, and I would say now, is something that is highly dishonoring, unloving, and disrespectful. Regardless, in this parable, the father grants the son's request and gives him his estate, his inheritance, and the son gathers up everything and takes off for a long distant land. The parable does not tell us why the son would do this to his father, which is one of the reasons I think the parable is so powerful. There are many different reasons why people find themselves or others in this story, in this parable, when you hear it. Well, let's say the reason the son is doing this is because he wanted to be free, and free in a way that many of us intuitively think about freedom as Americans. Let's think about it this way. Let's say like even even the father, we we think about the father and he's a good man. He loves his kids. But from the son's perspective, this is still the father's house and the father's rules. The son would never truly be free if he stays within these boundaries of the father's house. In the father's house, there are rules and obligations. but, But if he could have freedom to leave and get on the road, then he could determine his own rules and his own place in life. Right now, he's defined too much by his father. What if his identity wasn't in relation to being the son of this man, but something he could determine independently from his father? He just just needs to break this dependence on his father to be truly free. So he asked for his inheritance so he could live off those resources rather than being under the roof of a home where he's dependent on another. So off goes in this now scenario, the American prodigal with his U.S. bank account loaded with his inheritance. I'm picturing him spinning out of his father's uh, driveway with Tom Petty's free falling, blasting on the radio, and he's riding off into freedom to a place now where he can do whatever he wants. This is his life, his rights, his body, his destiny. Ahead of him is just this open road and it's endless possibilities with no more fear of missing out. He can determine his own rules and his own identity. He now has freedom from his father. He is now his own. But how does he know who he is now that he's independent? Now he's on a search for knowing and expressing an identity that hasn't been defined yet. This is something now the prodigal in this scenario is now responsible to figure out. It's on him to determine his identity. In the present day, uh, we, we often use that term, right? Our identity, finding who you are, your identity. And that's just a phrase that I think modern people use that to mean that we're determining uh, what our truth is and who we are. But determining our own truth is discovered not by discovering some objective reality that exists in the world, but it's a, truth is something that you feel. You feel your truth, you don't discover it. What feels right to you is what starts to shape your identity, which if you're tracking a little bit, that already seems like some shaky ground to base your reality and your sense of self-worth on, isn't it? I mean, how do you feel throughout the day? I know many of you don't even feel like a Christian until you have a cup of coffee in the morning. So feelings are not like, right? They're not just like something that you want to hang your hat on. But often when a modern person, an American prodigal, is trying to discover his identity, it's based on what feels right. And now what feels right, that's what you find your justification in. You commit yourself to some type of new relationship, a new career, athletics, education, a romantic encounter, a political cause, or some combination of all of the above. This is now where you will find your identity and it just feels right. And it's hopefully going to be enough to satisfy that question that the human being and the human heart always is wrestling with and that is am I enough? Is this identity going to be enough for me to find purpose and joy and meaning? Or maybe another way that I think Americans often think about this is, am I going to be able to reach my potential now? All that I'm made to be, can I reach my d- potential? Can I, if it's identity in athletics, you, could, you always have more potential to chase. You can always be stronger in academics, you can always get better grades, or in work you can always climb higher and be more successful, so you're striving to feel enough, to reach your potential, to do more, and to be better. There's always more to gain. There's always more striving to do, to feel enough, and feel like you have made it. It Sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Well, here's one of the ways that uh, the great public intellectual Taylor Swift put it. Oh, she's got catchy lyrics. She's very smart. Uh, she, wrote, uh, she did a um, commencement speech at New York University once, and this is what she said. And I think this actually captures it really well um, in terms of like, this feeling in our modern experience. Quote, I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you to you, and that's the exhausting part of this prodigal pursuit, because once you have found your new identity, this is the only thing that starts to happen. It's not human nature to keep it to yourself. We might think that we are these autonomous individuals, but we're not. We can't just keep our identities to ourselves. We have to express it, and we have to find other people with a shared identity to express that new found identity with. The prodigal may leave the father, but he still needs community and he will find community in this new identity that he has found. So you join a community of similar felt identities where everyone is finding their enoughness to use David Zoll's, author David Zoll's uh, categories. You're finding your enoughness together in a similar way, you bind together with this community, not only to express your identity because we need that constant affirmation that what we're doing is feeling enough, but we're also working together now on our way to reaching our full potential, not just by ourselves, but with these other folks with a shared identity. And one of the ways that you really express your shared identity with a community is by virtue signaling. It's a great way that folks like to do it nowadays. You call attention to the other Uh, Communities that don't have the same identity as you do because that is the competition. Those are the folks that you're competing with. They maybe even feel threatened by them. And in addition, maybe if someone in your own community starts to ask questions about your shared identity, then you show your commitment to your identity by calling that person out if the questioning gets too intense. Or if it gets really offhand, you cancel that person and push them out of the community. And when this cancellation happens, it's often not clear if you have been canceled and removed from this community, how do you find your way back? What does forgiveness and reconciliation look like in our modern world? It's really tricky because it feels like it's not the same way. It feels like it's not always offered. Is there actually a way back to forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration after you have been canceled. After all, if you're in the community and you've canceled somebody, if you allow this heretic back into the fold, then maybe that would show everyone else that you're not taking your shared identity too seriously. Most of us know this is how the game is played. And eventually, we just get exhausted of all this striving and signaling, and so you just start to go through the motions and just find your moments of joy and peace where you can, because you have to go back out in that world and act, and play the part once again. For some, when you reach this point of exhaustion, it's like that part of the story where the prodigal comes to his senses. After spending everything he's had on this freedom from the father, and living a life where he is his own, he hits hard times because of a famine. He gets to work feeding pigs, and looking at their life and what they get to eat, he longs to fill his stomach with the food that the pigs are putting in theirs. And in that moment, he recalls life back with his father, where there was so much food, there was food to spare. And it was in this moment that he discovers true freedom. And freedom is not freedom from, but freedom for. Freedom is found in belonging to this household of his father. He didn't feel like he was part of this family before, but now he realizes, objectively, it's not about whether he feels a part of this family. He is. It's a truth to be discovered, not a feeling to be created. He is part of this family, and it's within the boundaries of this household and the boundaries of belonging where he truly is made free. The right boundaries, do not take away freedom, but, in fact, they increase it. English writer G.K. Chesterton said it this way, quote, The more I consider Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for the good things to run wild. That's why good boundaries, true and beautiful boundaries exist, for the good things to run wild, to have fun. Now, we might have even experienced the flip side of it, artificial, strict boundaries, and that's suffocating. I remember taking my family once to a lake out near Stillwater. It was a public lake, so there were these killjoys called lifeguards that were there at that time, right? And most of the time, lifeguards are doing a good thing, the boundaries of don't drown. Nothing really suffocates a good time like drowning, right? So you don't want that to happen, but this person was more strict. There's this, there's this thing that I do with my kids sometimes where I put one of my kids on my shoulder and, and yeah, we, we pretend we're a tree, and then the other kid acts like he has an axe <laughs> and, you know, takes a crack at the legs, and then you fall back into the water and everybody goes flying. Well, I did that, and the lifeguard yelled at me. He says, we don't put people on our shoulders. And so then I started to complain. I thought I was keeping it uh, between me and my kids, but, you know, how things travel over a lake, and I embarrassed my wife because the lifeguard could hear what I was talking smack about him, about his strict legalistic rules, right? <laughs> so we understand settings like that. Boundaries can be strict. They can be suffocating. They can be legalistic. But I don't think that's actually something that us American prodigals are... Uh, we need to have reminders of. We understand that. We want freedom from that, right? But we often overreact and then think that a world without boundaries and a place where we don't have to belong, that we're commitment-free, then that will actually set us free, when in fact, that's no fun either. The fun things run wild within boundaries. A fire is lovely as long as it remains within the boundaries of the fireplace. Or think about sports, if how you play basketball or baseball on a particular field with particular rules, you do that so that you can enjoy the game and have fun on that field, because nothing steals joy like imparting different rules on a field that wasn't made to enjoy that game. It actually frustrates the experience. So this move now with the prodigal from this life that he defined as his own, one that he got to fashion, a freedom from his father where he decided actually he was made for his father, not in a sense that his father owned him, but he belonged to an environment of love and forgiveness. What if he finally discovers, and we discovered with the prodigal, that, that it's Finding our identity and finding freedom is something that we don't feel and determine ourselves, but something that's true and objective and you're able to find in the world. It's the truth of grace, forgiveness, and love when you find out that you are not your own, but you belong to another. The New City Catechism question one, I know the the Sunday school, the kids in Sunday school are, are leaning into this question last week. The question asks, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is, is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's walk this path of freedom with the prodigal, the road back to the freedom of belonging to the Father and being part of this household of love where there's no need to convince the Father, in this case, God, that you belong, He is ready to run down that path and run down that road to greet you and to forgive and to celebrate. Why? Because all of God is ready to bless us in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that from now, the framework of Ephesians 1 that was read for the scripture reading. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We praise God for the breath of his blessing in this opening verse. Each person of the Trinity is active in these blessings. God has given us good or desirable things in Christ, and they're spiritual, meaning that they pertain or belong to the Holy Spirit. And these blessings uh, from God in Christ are now guaranteed in the Holy Spirit. And I love that it says in that verse that we get, what, some blessings? Did you notice the word? It didn't say some blessings. It said... Every spiritual blessing. How many blessings has God given us in Christ? Every single one. He didn't hold anything back. It reminded me, last time I preached on this passage, there was this AT&T commercial that was floating around at the time. Uh, where the whole the whole principle is like, hey, it's not complicated. More is better. Two is better than one. And there's this particular one where he's like uh, in like a classroom with some little kids, and he's he's asking um, this boy, what's better, shooting two laser beams out of the out of your eyes or just one? And the kid says, oh. One, one laser beam only does a little bit of damage. Two beams will make something explode. And then, you know, it wraps up the commercial and says, it's, a, it's not complicated. More is better, right? And there's a sense that that's true right here. More is better. How about all the blessings? How about every spiritual blessing? How about the God the Father doesn't hold anything back from those whom he loves in Jesus Christ? And what are those Blessings. There's at least three that are highlighted in this passage. The first one is in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with, the pleasure of his, uh, his, with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God determined before time, uninfluenced by anyone or anything, that we would be part of his family, that we would be adopted in Christ. He didn't do so begrudgingly or against his will, but it was a decision that pleased God without influence. It was unconditional and of his own will. And we are blessed, this passage says, we have the good life because we are chosen we are elected, we are adopted, we are predestined by the Father, and because that, all that belongs to the Son belongs to us, we are part of the household of God. And not only has God chosen and adopted us, but we are now redeemed, we are set free in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 10. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Redemption means liberation from bondage or imprisonment, and on occasion a ransom is paid for redemption. That is, a price needs to be paid for our freedom. And here, that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ that pays the debt of sin and sets us free. And because of that, God lavishes the riches of his grace on us. Lavish is like being around somebody that's always picking up the tab. He is not stingy, but gives us all and so much more in Christ. He picks up the tab of grace every single time. That's God's activity in Christ, and that's bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. And the third blessing that's highlighted is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 13 through 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. In Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, means we are identified as God's. So we belong to him. It's a tattoo that's on our soul that says, You are a daughter or a son of God. And that is something that is so refreshing. Because there is not much in life that is guaranteed. Not our health, not success in work, not a spouse a good, or good weather. But if you belong to God in Christ, then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit who guarantees your inheritance, even if you're a prodigal that comes home. There's forgiveness and grace to welcome you back into the home where you belong. St. Augustine is uh, somebody that is, his voice is prominent in this sermon series. He's uh, one of the, the great church fathers of the Christian faith. And like many of us, he also pursued freedom from the Father rather than belonging to the Father. And he knows just how terrible it can be when our own wills lead us on a direction where we start to believe that we are our own rather than belonging to God. He wrote these two things that I thought were interesting in light of that pursuit. He says, quote, How does anyone suffer an unhappy life by his will, since absolutely no one wills to live unhappily? That's a legit, deep question, is it not? Not any of us want to be unhappy. But every single time we define our own freedom and discover our own boundaries and try to feel our own truth, we end up unhappy. And then in community with people who are also miserable and we are unkind to each other and in addition unkind to people that are different than us. And if we will to have a life that's not that, how do we get ourselves into this situation all the time? There must be something inside of us that is throwing off the compass to find ourselves to the good life. And so that's why St. Augustine elsewhere also wrote this. Without you, that is, without the Lord, what am I to myself but a guide to my own self-destruction? You are not on your own power going to find your way to the good life. You are not going to find freedom apart from Jesus Christ. You're not going to discover your own truth uh, on your own power. It's something that does exist in the world that God has given us in Christ and has freely disclosed it to us. Augustine reminds us that Even if we want to find happiness, we're going to end up enslaving ourselves to our own sin in that pursuit, unless we have power and freedom that's granted from another. Augustine, the prodigal, and us, we need to be set free by Christ to whom we belong. Jesus said this in John 8, "'Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin.'" Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Brothers and sisters, true and everlasting freedom is found in Christ. Freedom from sin and the freedom found in belonging to him. Blessed are those who belong.